Good morning. Week number eight of our study in eschatology. So let's get started with a word of prayer if we could. Our Father, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ and to open the scriptures and to uh, gain an understanding by your will that we might apply it to our lives, that it might affect the way that we think, it might affect the way that we live. Lord, I pray that this morning, by your Spirit, you would give us an understanding that comes only from above. We recognize our inability to understand apart from your granting grace and giving us an understanding. So it's in that expectation that we come together this morning desiring to honor you and to praise you by studying your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as I said, this is week number eight. And last week we laid out really three important passages, I think, that you have to have in in the forefront of your mind um, as you go into the book of Joshua. Because God, um, I think very precisely, told the Israelites what was going to happen when they went into the land. And it's not all in one place, but it's in several different places. But we looked in uh, Exodus 23, and there God said that he would not drive the people out of the land in a single year, because if he did that, it would become overrun with beasts because there'd be no people there to fend off the beast. And so he was going to do it instead, little by little. Whatever that means, that's what God's plan that he gave to Israel was. He repeated it. That was um, before the uh, golden calf and the giving of all the law and before they erected the tabernacle. So that was way in the beginning. Then at the end, just before they went into the promised land over in Deuteronomy 7, he says the same thing, that he would clear the land before them. He may use their hands to do it, but if they are taking the land, it's because God is doing it. And again, he repeated that he would do it little by little, not all at one time. And then we looked also over at the end of Moses' life, And we saw, took a minute to look at where Moses often went into the tent of meeting with God. And the people would stand back in the camp beside their tents and they'd watch him because it was an awesome thing. And then Moses would go into the tent and then God would come and stand by the door and speak with Moses. And this was a regular occurrence. And we noticed that once Moses went up on Mount Sinai the second time, then his face would glow basically continuously. And he would veil it uh, when he wasn't speaking to the people or to God. He would always wear a veil from there till apparently the time when he died. But on the right at the very end of his life, God summoned uh, both Moses and Joshua into the tent of meeting. Now, this was the first time that Joshua had ever been in the tent of meeting. And you can just imagine his perspective on, I'm going to go into the tent. And in that meeting, God told both of them um, that the people 
once they got into the land and they began to enjoy the land, that the people would forsake uh, the covenant that they had with God, that they would play the harlot with the strange gods of the land, that God would literally hide his face from them, and that many evils and perilous times would overcome them. So you can imagine Joshua, as God commissions him at that, in that same meeting, saying, what kind of people are you giving me to rule over? Because, you know, you just told me all these horrible things that are going to happen. They don't happen during Joshua's life. It's after Joshua's life. So as we go through the book of Joshua, I think this is always in Joshua's mind. And he, he speaks to it several times. So these things that God's going to take the land little by little, that it's not all going to happen just at one time, that it's going to take time for this to happen. And we'll look at some, hopefully we'll get that far. We'll look at the reason why God did that, because he makes it explicitly clear. And then also that the people are going to play the harlot with the gods of the land. This is always in Joshua's mind, I believe. So we looked at the, I know my glasses are here somewhere. On my face. Just can't see well this morning. Was, wasn't it? My wife is always there to help me. <laughs> Encourage me. Saying, look on your face. <laughs> the first five chapters of Joshua we looked at last week. And, and we're trying to move through this fairly quickly, but we're going to cover every single chapter of Joshua, and there are 24 of them. So we're going to try and do this fairly fast. We got through five of them last week. And you'll remember the things that happened there that uh, Joshua assumed command. They sent the spies into the land and Rahab helped them. That they crossed, well, they had to get across the Red Sea first, right? They crossed the Red Sea, uh, the Gulf of Aqaba, in very much the same fashion as um, they crossed the Jordan in the same fashion as they had crossed the Red Sea. They, um, the Israelite men were all circumcised because when they were uh, in Egypt or in the desert, they didn't circumcise their children. And so they all get circumcised, uh, which is the sign of the covenant. And then uh, the manna stopped and the people started to eat off the land. And at the end of chapter 5, Joshua uh, meets the captain of, um, of the Lord's army or we said that that's probably I think it is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that he and and the reason he's there is to show Joshua because that's who he met with that he is going to lead them as they begin to take over the land that is not his doing Joshua's or the people but it's the captain of the hosts it's the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to cause all this to happen, and literally we'll see today, there are times when God actually himself killed the enemy, came in and supernaturally um, killed the enemy, and we'll see some of that today. So we're in chapter 6 now of Joshua, and this is the familiar story of the destruction of Jericho, and you know, this is all about sevens, right? They walk around the city, 
once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, they walk around it seven times. As they uh, finish the seventh loop around on that seventh day, they blow seven trumpets and the walls fall down. And so, very familiar story, I'm sure, to you. But I want to look at chapter 6 and verse 21. And we're going to see this theme over and over and over as we go through um, these different battles. Joshua 6.21, They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. So how many people are left in Jericho when they're done? None. And that includes all the children, all the babies, all the young kids. Everybody is killed. Absolutely destroy every one of them. And we're going to see this theme over and over. You remember back, if you look there, back in Joshua, I mean back in um, Numbers 31. And we've seen this before. This is when um, Israel fights the Midianites on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So before they go into the promised land, they have this battle with the Midianites. In chapter 31 of Numbers, down in verse 7, so they made war against Midian, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian along with the rest of their slain, Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. The sons of Israel captured the women of Midian and their little ones and all their cattle and all their flocks and all their goods they plundered. Then they burned all their cities where they lived and all their camps with fire. They took all the spoil and all the prey, both man and beast. They brought the captives and the prey and the spoil to Moses and to Eleazar, the priest and the congregation of the sons of Israel, to the camp of the plains of Moab, which are by the Jordan opposite Jericho. Moses and Eleazar, the priest and all the leaders of the congregation, went out to meet them outside the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the captains of thousands and the captains of hundreds, who had come from service in the war. And Moses said to them, Have you spared all the women? Behold, these caused the sons of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. So the plague was among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore, kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known man intimately but all the girls who have not known man intimately spare for yourselves. So the guys think they do good. They go and they kill all the males who are fighting against them, and they capture everything else and take it back to Moses. And Moses says, what are you doing? Kill all of the males. That means all the babies and everybody. Kill all of the women who have known uh, any man intimately, so all the, um, the women get killed, and all that's left are the young girls. And he says, you can keep those. So this is the way, when God says, 
drive them out of the land, this is what he means. That you kill everybody. That's how you drive them out of the land. doesn't mean just disperse them. It means kill them. So that needs to be in your mind as we are in Joshua. Um, you know, and, and there are people today, um, we think it, it's a horrible thing, and it is, that practice genocide. They go into a village and they kill everybody. They go into village after village after village and they kill everybody to totally do away with a particular race or um, group of people. And it's a, it's a horrible thing. But here you see, this is what God ordered them to do. And, and the reason, God, well, we'll see it. Because God makes it very clear. Why is it okay for God to do this and not for men today to do this? Because this is what the Muslims believe about once the black flags come and once the Mahdi is on the earth, that their job is to either proselytize you to Islam or to kill you. That will be their call. That's what the Quran says very clearly, that if you don't proselytize into Islam, then you're to be killed. And, you know, proselytizing into Islam is very easy. You just have to say seven words, and they consider you to be um, a Muslim. It's very easy to do. Um, and that's why so many people are flocking there today, because there's not many requirements. <laughs> and, and you're religious, and you just got to say a, a phrase that you believe that Allah is God. And that's all it takes, and then you're a Muslim. Um, so... There are people today who have this same thing in mind, and they point to this conquest of the land as part of the support for their belief. Because God ordered the Israelites to do this very same thing. So just keep all that in your mind as we go through here. Look at chapter 7. And this is where Israel is defeated. They lose to Ai who are Amorites, because one of their own, Achan, had taken something from Jericho that was under the ban. And by under the ban, they weren't to take any gold. or They could take the gold and the silver, but they had to put it into the treasury. They couldn't take anything else for themselves. And a man named Achan from the tribe of Judah took a mantelpiece and he took some silver and some gold, and he hid it all in his tent. And so because of that one man's sin, God allowed all the Israelites to lose to the, um, the people of Ai, which is a city, who were Amorites. So Moses goes before God, and he says, what is the deal? You know, why, are, why have you brought us out of Ai? Uh, Joshua goes in and calls before God, why have you allowed us to come across the Jordan? Why have you allowed us to take Jericho? And now you cause us to lose to Ai. So he had it clear in his mind that if they won, it was because of God. If they lost, it was because of God. So that's always in Joshua's mind. And so God tells him about there's one person and they parade the whole tribe of Judah before him. And then they parade each um, group. I guess it's really um, 
there, there were many fathers, you know, the heads of a particular tribe, so they then paraded those guys before them, and God selected out, and then ultimately they paraded the families before him, and God selected Achan, and so they say, Achan, what do you do? And he tells them, and so they, you know, they have mercy, and they don't treat him too badly, until you get down to verse 25 of Joshua 7. And this is what you get if you disobey the covenant with God. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And if you read this story, look in... Um, verse 24 I think then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold his sons, his daughter, his oxen his donkeys, his sheep his tent and all that belonged to him and they brought him to the valley of Achor and they stoned them Includes his children, grandchildren, anybody who was descended from him. They kill them all and they burn them with fire. This is what you get if you disobey the covenant of God. So you can see, I mean, this is, this is a hard time, is it not? These, these people are rugged. And if you do wrong, you get killed by your own people. This is the conquest of the land the promised land. This is what it looks like. Now, I want you to really have this all in your mind. That's why we're going to go through it chapter by chapter. So when God's purpose in Israel always was that the whole earth might know him and fear him, might give him a proper due glory. That was the, the purpose for the nation of Israel. And, and that's what God is doing here. He's showing just how mighty he is. Remember, he killed all of the Egyptian army. I mean, wipe them out. How mighty, how holy, how right. righteous, uh, how merciful, and how just He is. And we'll get to it. God says the reason that he's, he's having them kill all these people, He says, because vengeance is mine. And these are heathen people who hate God, who have other gods, and that they're not killing all these people because they desire to kill all the people. That's not what's going on here at all. They're killing all the people because God has told them to kill all the people. And it, the scripture says, as he told Moses, so Moses told Joshua, kill all the people. And so that's what's going on here. And so they're taking the vengeance of God against these people, not their own vengeance. Well, yeah. Of us deserve Yep. Because when you put this in public and say, so that's your God, that, that person had better know the, 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 the God that they're talking about, or they're going to get crushed. Right. Oh, yeah, and, and deceived. 
Look at 7-7 of Joshua. And this is, I want you to see this because we've talked about these people groups. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? You remember that? It's one of the people groups that God told them that they were going to drive out of the land. And now you see what drive out of the land means. Because in chapter 8, Israel goes up against Ai again, and they defeat Ai. And look down in verse 22 of chapter 8, and you see the same theme again. The others came out, they, they, they snooker Ai. They bring a bunch of guys, they send a bunch around the backside of the city. And then a whole group comes into the front of the city, and when the men of Ai come out to battle them, they run. And the reason they run is to get the guys to separate from their city. Then the guys on the backside of the city come in, and they've got them between the two Israeli camps, and they slaughter them. You can see it here in 22. The others came out from the city to encounter them so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they slew them until no one was left of those who survived or escaped. But they took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. Now when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed, then all, A- all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So they kill every single person who lived in Ai. You can see it in verse 25. All who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. So, and then they burned the city, um, and Joshua himself kills the king. Okay, so you go on. So now they've taken Ai, some of the Amorites. Um, This is what it means to drive the people out. So chapter 9, Israel makes a mistake. The Gibeonites, um, who are Hivites, if you look over, just to show you this, over in chapter 11 in verse 19, as he's summarizing some things, he said, There was not a city which made peace with the sons of Israel except the Hivites living in Gibeon. They took them all in battle. So these people, the Gibeonites, are the Hivites. You remember that's one of the people groups that God said he was going to drive out. Well, Israel makes a big mistake. Uh, The Gibeonites put on old clothes and worn out shoes, and they take bread that's stale, And they go out to meet Joshua. And they say, we've come from a long distance. And you can see we're all tattered and our shoes are worn out. And we have no good food to eat. So please let us live in the land with you. And not understanding that they're people of the land, Israel makes a covenant with them. Joshua does. And he says, we will not kill you. We will let you live off the plenty of the land. Now, that's a direct disobedience to God's command. So how could that happen to Joshua? How could Joshua make such a huge mistake? The leader that God himself had selected and appointed, well, he made the mistake because of what's written 
in chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Here's the mistake that Joshua made. It says, So the men of Israel took, took some of their provisions, this is the provisions of the Gibeonites, and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. So once you've sworn an oath by the name of God in heaven, you can't go against it. And so they have to allow these people to live. Even once they find out that they're really Hivites from the town of Gibeon, they still can't kill them, which is direct disobedience. And the reason it happened is because Joshua did not counsel with the Lord. He didn't ask God what he wanted him to do, because if he would have, God would have said, kill them all because they're not who they say they are. They find out three days later, and then they realize their huge mistake, and there's nothing they can do about it because they've swore by God of heaven. And so, huge mistake. Right here at the very beginning. And so they're not going to be able to do what God commanded them to do completely. All right, so we have to move on from there. Um, you know, just to so you can see it in Scripture, Exodus 23:32. This is God's command way back at the very beginning. Just had come out of Egypt, really. 23:32 of Exodus. There, God says, "You shall make no covenant with them." Or with their gods. Talking about the people of the promised land. You don't make a covenant with a single one of them. Why? Because God is going to drive them out of the land little by little. So you don't need to make a covenant. It's going to happen as God predicted it would. So, But they do make a covenant. So they have disobeyed. God doesn't do anything to them right here. Doesn't bring it up. They just made a huge mistake. All right, Joshua 10 is about five kings of the Amorites, more Amorites, are destroyed as they plan to attack Gibeon. They heard what happened in Gibeon. They knew that that's where the Israelites were around. And so they, five kings of the Amorites get together and they say, let's go down into the valley and let's kill all of Israel. And so that's their plan, but it doesn't go so well. And the reason it doesn't go so well for them is look at verse 11 of chapter 10. They ultimately realize they're losing the battle, so they begin to flee. As they fled from before Israel, while they were at the descent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than those who the sons of Israel killed with the sword. So this is God saying, you may be able to outrun the Israelites, but you can't outrun my stones. And so he tosses stones on them from heaven and just smashes them. So this is God himself intervening and killing the Amorites. He killed more than the Israelites did. Doesn't, now notice, the Israelites kill a bunch, but God kills more. 
So God, in whatever way he wants to, he can use the hands of the, of the Israelites to take his vengeance, or he himself can just wipe them out. And so he does. He, he kills them. And notice that, so they, they all get killed. Look in verse 26. This is the kind of man that Joshua was. So afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death. It's talking about the five kings. Joshua himself strikes them and puts them to death. And he hanged them on five trees, and they hung on the trees until evening. And then he takes them off the trees, throws them in a cave where they tried to hide from them, and puts stones in front of the cave. And then, as the writer usually says, it's still there to this day when this book was written. Okay, so those five kings are destroyed. Then you then just look over and over and over in this chapter. Verse 28, Now Joshua captured Makedah, that's the city near the cave where they put those five guys, captured Makedah on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed it and every person who was in it, he left no survivors Thus he did to the king of Makeda, just as he had done to the king of Jericho. And then you look at verse 30. The Lord gave it also with, uh, we're talking about a city named Libna. The Lord gave it also with its king into the hands of Israel. And he struck it and every person who was in it with the edge of the sword. He left no survivor in it. Thus he did to the king just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then you look at verse 33. Then Horam, king of Gazar, came up to help Lashish, and Joshua defeated him and his people until he left no survivor. They're, they're wiping out every single person, and that includes the children. Verse 37. They captured... Um, talking about a place called Eglon. They captured it and struck it and its king and all its cities and all the persons who were in it with the edge of the sword. He left no survivor according to all that he had done to Eglon and he utterly destroyed it and every person who was in it, every single person. Verse um, 39, talking about Debir, He captured it and its king and all its cities and they struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed every person who was in it. He left no survivor. You get the idea of what's going on here? City after city, king after king, kill everybody in sight. Every single one of them. This is God's plan. This is how they take, this is what it means to drive people out of the land is you kill them. You kill every single one of them. So, there's an interesting verse down in verse 40 of this chapter. Then Joshua struck all the land, the hill country and the Negev and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings. He left no survivor, but he utterly destroyed all who breathed just as the Lord the God of Israel had commanded. Now you see it very clear here. The reason they're killing everybody is not because they're angry. 
is not because they're taking vengeance of their own. They're doing it because God commanded them to do it. So this is God's command, not their desire necessarily. That's why they're doing it. Now, when he says, and they took, thus Joshua struck all the land. That all the land doesn't mean all the promised land. What it means is the areas that have been mentioned previously that he struck all that land. Because every one of these cities that we've talked, that we've seen here, is within 50 miles of Jericho. So it's just the central part of all the promised land. They don't go over to the Mediterranean. They don't go to the Euphrates. They don't go north to the Euphrates. They, they don't go down to the sea to the south. This is just the central part. It's all within 50 miles of Jericho. So you have to be careful when it says that he struck all the land. He struck all the land that has been described in the previous chapters. Okay? There will be other statements like this that we have to look at and understand what it means. Because if this was all of the land, then the land is only 50 square miles. Because that's, all these cities are packed right together. You can look at them on an ancient map. You can see them. The, the, further, the only one that was on the Mediterranean is a city called Gaza, which is at the very southern tip of the Philistines um, area. The Philistines are all along the Mediterranean. And that's the only city that actually was on the Mediterranean that they struck here was Gaza. And we know that name well today, right? It's the same place. Okay, so... Down in verse 41, you can see that where he describes God. Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea, even as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. So he's describing lands, but this Gibeon here is the Gibeonites. Um, it's a city that's within 50 miles of Jericho, so he didn't go very far for this conquest that we see up through chapter 10. Okay? He, um, he continues, he goes into what we would know as um, northern Palestine. So he goes to the north a little bit, and he continues the same theme. Now, um, look at verse 3 of chapter 11, because here you see the people groups that we were originally told about. He's talking about that Joshua is going to go up into the, this area. So the Canaanite on the east and on the west and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite and the hill country and the Hivite and the foot of Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So these are some of the people groups we've seen, right? The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, uh, the Canaanites. And he goes and he does battle with these people. And look in verse 9. Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Then Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor 
formerly was the head of all these kingdoms. They struck every person who was in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was no one left who breathed, and he burned Hazor with fire. Joshua captured all the cities of these kings and all their kings, and he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded him. So you see very clear what the purpose of them killing all these people is. And notice down in verse 15, just as the Lord had commanded Moses' servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So as far as they've gotten, it says that Joshua has done everything that God commanded them, except for what? The Gibeonites. He didn't kill the Gibeonites. They're still in the land of Gibeon because he made a covenant with them. Okay, but he's following through on all the other people groups and doing what God told him to do. Okay, and this is clearly described by God. Then down in verse 21 of chapter 11, then Joshua came at that time and cut off Anakim from the hill country from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and all the hill country of Judah, and from the hill country of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. There were no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza and Gath and Ashad some remained. This is the land, the land of the Anakim, that Joshua ultimately gives to Caleb for the only other spy who was faithful to God back at the original 12 spies. This is the land that's given to Caleb. He asked for it, and Joshua gives it to him. So, but all the Anakin are ultimately destroyed. Now, verse 23, very, very interesting verse. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their division by the tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. So it sounds like He's taken all the promised land, right? That's what it sounds like. He's taken all the land that God had commanded and the land was at rest. And people would run here and see, say they took all the land. And that's true until you get to chapter 13 when he tells you all the land they didn't take. So you have to be careful and not to just lift this out of this passage and say, see, they took all the land. Because very, very soon, over in chapter 13, just glance there for a second. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years and very much of the land remains to be possessed. So when he says they took all the land, he doesn't mean all of the promised land. Okay, And if you look at this geographically, they took the center part of the promised land. They didn't go, they haven't made it to the Mediterranean. 
because the Philistines live all along the Mediterranean. So the only city on the Mediterranean they've taken is Gaza. They haven't pushed all the way north to where the Euphrates curves over, which is part of their land. They haven't pushed down into Arabia, which is part of their land. And so they've taken the center part of it, but there are huge land areas that they have not taken. And chapter 13 will enumerate them for us. So you can't lift this passage out of context and say they took it all. Here, right here it says they did. Because if you do, then a chapter and a half later, you're contradicting what the scripture says. So you have to be careful and read all of it. That's why I'm going through all of it. So that you can see what is in its totality it says. Okay, so there are large areas that they haven't taken. And God will enumerate them for them. Now, in chapter 12, he enumerates the kings that they had defeated. And you get to the last verse of chapter 12, and it says, in all 31 kings. So that's significant, right? I mean, there's no doubt it's very significant that they killed 31 kings and all the people who were sided with them. So they've taken a lot of land. I would never deny that. But they haven't taken all of the land. And that's the point. That's what we're trying to look at is do we ever get to the point where they take all of the land? Now you'll notice the the sheet I gave you this morning is front and back. You notice chapter 13 has a lot of notes written there, right? It's a very significant chapter. There's a lot in it. So we're not going to try and do that this morning. We'll stop with chapter 12, where we have 31 kings that have been defeated, have a lot of land that's been taken. The land is at rest, meaning because they're not trying to push any further at this point, there's no wars going on. Because everybody's terrified of them. Because they've totally destroyed all these people. And so the land is at rest for a time here. And there's a lot in chapter 13 that we want to look at Because if you don't get chapter 13 right, then you'll miss the whole point of Joshua and what's going on. Because there's a lot of statements in chapter 13 that are very important. So we're going to halt there this morning. We'll pick up, if the Lord wills, with chapter 13 next time. Okay? Thanks for your time.